welcome to the Convex Conversation with me, broadcaster Helen Fospero. There's been plenty of talk and buzz about the metaverse in the last few years, but unless you're a gaming enthusiast, many of us are unclear as to what the term actually means and how it might impact our engagement with the outside world. Metaverse is a catch-all phrase for the growing collection of immersive digital worlds where avatars work, play and purchase goods, a 3D version of the internet if you like. The goal to give people the ability to connect with others in a virtual, immersive environment through socialising, gaming, retail experiences, meetings, collaborations and conferences. The term metaverse was first coined by science fiction writer Neil Stevenson in his 1992 book Snow Crash, the story of a dystopian future where rich people escape into an alternative 3D connected reality. Facebook renamed itself Meta in 2021, and Google are investing heavily in virtual reality and augmented reality technology. Companies like Tommy Hilfiger, Burberry, Gucci, Nike, Samsung, Adidas, Louis Vuitton, as well as banks including HSBC and JP Morgan, are buying up space in the metaverse, anticipating it'll become widely embraced and change the way we shop, socialise and do business. I'm no Metaverse expert, so I'm relying on this week's guest, Jimmy Dowdu, to shed some light on it for us. Jimmy is the founder and CEO of Vault Hill, based in Dubai, and has worked for companies like Expedia and Barclays in change and transformation. Jimmy and his team at Vault Hill are building a human-centric Metaverse. Jimmy, thanks so much for joining me today. There feels like there's lots to unravel here, so maybe we can (laughs) hold the human-centric metaverse thought for now until I'm a bit more into it and start with the basics. What exactly is the metaverse? So from a definition perspective, it's a virtually shared social space. So now let's conceptualize it. So we all go on Instagram every day, Twitter, depending on your level of social interaction on social media. Now, while we're doing that on our phone, that is a 2D experience. Now the metaverse is a 3D experience where we will be dropped into Instagram and walking around, not physically as Jimmy or Helen, but with our avatars, which are our digital identities. And we'll talk about that later, but your avatar is your passport into the metaverse, right? To start creating these experiences and enjoying the experience. So rather than me swiping right or left on Tinder, I can be in Tinder. I'm moving around and actually visualizing my left or right. It makes me wonder whether we'll actually get time to do anything normal in life if I spend far too many hours on Instagram and Twitter now. So how could it and will it impact our lives? The word metaverse, like you said at the start, is a, is a buzzword. When you talk to folks that are virtual reality enthusiasts or gamers or folks that are digitally native, the term metaverse can be dropped everywhere. But to answer your question, let's look at things like productivity. Just like how we are currently on a video conference and call, the metaverse could enable the experience. Now, with this conference call, I could see you, I could see your reactions here and there, but I can only see the frame of the camera showing you. With the metaverse, depending on how immersive it is, if we talk about the virtual reality side, we're jumped in and I can actually give you a high five, Helen, with my avatar and you give me a high five back. We could give each other a cuddle. We could have expressions and take it to the next level. So that is from an experience perspective. And would we be wearing VR glasses then if we were doing this in the metaverse right now? Yes and no. You have more 
immersive experiences where you need to be in virtual reality. However, think of it as back in the 70s or in the 60s when there was the IBM mainframe computer where you needed a crane to get a computer into your office. <laughs> like, just think about that back then. And guess what? Fast forward 30, 40 years later, it's in the palm of our hands through an iPhone or through an Android phone or mobile phone. That evolution of the of the hardware. Same with the VR headset. So yes, it might feel very clunky right now to put in a VR headset on. Eventually, within the next three, five years, that's going to be very lightweight because folks like Apple are coming up with the consumer grade headset this year. So the amount of billions of dollars being pumped in by Meta, Apple, follow the money. Like it's here, it's here to stay, but it will evolve. And yes, to have a rich immersive experience, you need the headset on. However, if you don't have the headset, there are metaverse platforms where you could access 3D environments from the comfort of your computer. I told you before we started recording that I remember being in my early 30s and being taught how to send an email and thinking, what's the point of this email? We've got Royal Mail for that kind of thing. So I do understand why people get a bit anxious or nervous of change and things they don't understand. But you're making it sound really exciting. And could it be as simple in a few years' time as putting on a bit like a 3D pair of glasses when we go to the cinema and then we feel immersed in the movie, would we be out and about having our coffee and sitting on our phone and simply perhaps put what look like glasses and then entering into this 3D world? Absolutely. And if you look at augmented reality, AR, which is a mix of overlaying the digital world on the physical, so think of it like Snapchat. I do this with my six-year-old son a lot where we look for a cat filter or a dog filter and we put it on myself and I can see myself looking like a dog. <laughs> that is technically augmented reality. So in some way, you could say we're in the metaverse already without even knowing that the buzzword was there. In a couple of years down the line, the technology will be affordable and accessible to the comfort of folks to enhance those experiences. And how many years away is the technology, do you think, from gaining importance and acceptance and being part of many of our daily lives? I'd say we're getting there, but realistically, if we talk about mainstream adoption, I'd say within three to five years. Reason being, if you look at where we are now on the bell curve, the likes of Google, Meta, Apple have started looking at productivity as a use case to start this with. So things like health and safety training for oil and gas refineries, reducing risk compliance, reducing operational cost, using this technology for training from a banking perspective, reducing operational risks through ensuring people can immerse themselves in training and complete training in good time rather than having the risk of not completing training and having a compliance risk and a fine attached to that as well. It's interesting, we were doing a podcast with a scientist who is working in the Alzheimer's research field, and they're using virtual reality because they're trying to find a way of identifying Alzheimer's 20 years before the symptoms show. And one of the early signs of dementia is when you lose your sense of direction. And to mm. test people, they put them in a virtual reality world and test out their sense of navigation. So it is interesting. I'm already beginning to see it used in the medical world. And I was also reading some examples from Deloitte's chief disruptor, Ed Grieg. He was saying, giving examples like you can catch a world-class theatre performance or watch a gig with your favourite artist in your living room, learn to perform surgery in a helicopter, 
fight a fire in a power station from the safety of your home or office. It really could provide some extraordinary opportunities, not just for leisure and pleasure, but for business. And as you say, safety too. Absolutely. And I I keep saying to people, with this technology, it's so grand where at times the safety concerns, the safety element of this comes at the back of my mind every time we're in a product call or talking to a customer because the only limitation is your imagination. So it's like there's so much breadth to what you could do with this and how you do that positively, but there are always going to be bad guys out there. So how do you curtail them? How do you make sure it's safe? How do I make sure my 13-year-old niece is safe in the metaverse? And what are those things and associations and regulations we need to ensure safety? And how do you do that? It's a journey. The technology is so nascent that coupled with the blockchain, regulators are still trying to figure this out. And for us in Dubai, we've had a lot of conversations with the regulators, which is the virtual asset regulatory authorities in Dubai, where we're saying to them, hey, we're building right here in Dubai. You could use us as a guinea pig. We could help you guys with some of the technicalities, some of the loopholes where we could use a sandbox to ensure that those regulations are coming fruitful. So that's one end on the regulation side. From a product perspective, there are a couple of concepts. There's one called self-sovereign identity and apologies, it's a technical term, but let me let me strip it back. Okay. Imagine having a NatWest account. You have an yeah. account number, you have a sort code. NatWest at the account opening phase of onboarding you as a customer has taken all your know your customer KYC data. So your passport, your utility bill, all of that good stuff. So on the database, if NatWest sends the data, your data to another organization that you've made a request for, like open banking, for example, the data is trusted because it's NatWest. Yeah. Right. So what we want to do is coming back to the concept of your digital passport, which is your avatar. We want to get you to create your avatar, the convenience of your style, what you look like, but now associate the technology of getting NatWest to authenticate you as a user. So that's the concept of the self-sovereign identity. So because we we trust that NatWest holds the right information and data of yours that is governed and compiled by regulators in, in England, we could trust that data source and then associate that to your avatar. And then your avatar has like a Twitter blue check to say, hey, this person is actually authentic, no catfishing, this person's of legal age and all of that good stuff. I still haven't got my Instagram blue tick, which probably makes me very unofficial, <laughs> which is very disappointing. I've got one on Twitter. So tell us about our digital identities and the avatar. I mean, I think we've all got an image of roughly what an avatar is. And certainly when I switch on the TV and look at Netflix, my kids have put, well, they put Mrs. Grumpy up for me. And I suppose that's a very basic form of non-moving avatar. <laughs> But how do we create our identities and do they have to look like us or can we choose? The whole idea of the metaverse and virtual reality is the fact that you could be whoever you want to be. You could have three types of personas as Helen. Helen that goes to the club, Helen that goes to work, Helen that does the podcast, Helen that's a mother, Helen that's a wife, whatever it is, you could create your avatar and style your avatar and even dress your avatar up, right? And then if you have a work event, rather than, you know, you wearing a formal wear and jumping into that event and then changing that to go to a party and getting all made up and looking glam and all of that good stuff, you could actually spend some time, create those avatars and use them whenever you're going to an event virtually. 
So that's one concept of it. And it's so easy to do now. My six years old and I play Roblox together. And every time we jump into a new game, he's like, Daddy, quickly update your avatar. I'm like, I'm building this stuff, Sammy. He's like, <laughs> okay, but just update it. I'm like, okay. So he gets it. I call them the iPad kids. It's quite easy. You select the character, male or female. Now, I think something to throw into the mix while I said that is we haven't really solved for non-binary folks. And from a diversity and inclusive perspective, that's quite important. So I think I'm going to have to nudge my team and our third-party provider as to what are their plans for that but coming back to how you create it, you come on our platform, you select um, your avatar, you style it, you could change the hair, glasses, lips, what they're wearing. Age, age, Jimmy. <laughs> age, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there with age. We're getting there with age. Oh. There's going to be a lot of facets to this. <laughs> I'm going to go back to 37, I think, on my avatar, which obviously is not many years away. <laughs> You can have a lot of fun with it. And as you pointed out there with your kids, my kids as well, they're digital natives. So it won't seem tricky for them to embrace this. So when you think about the metaverse, what role do you think it could play or what benefits will it add to our working lives? And then we'll explore entertainment purposes too. From a work perspective, let's go back to the example of safety. If I'm in the oil and gas sector, I have to send an engineer on site to the middle of nowhere for two weeks to do a training. Now, with the benefits of retro reality and the metaverse, we could simulate that training from the comfort of an office or home, and he jumps into that training in virtual reality. So what we've done there is we've reduced operational cost, we've reduced the risk of debt, all the risk associated to traveling and being on an oil rig in the middle of nowhere. We've eliminated that risk. On the benefit side of things as well, we've looked at it to say, while we start to look at training in a different light, how do we reward people for training? Because everyone feels training is mundane. I have to do it because someone has told me to do it. You know, even when I'm trying to be better and I go for a course, I'm doing that because I want to be better. So we could look at how we incentivize employees in the workplace by creating NFTs that give them access to X number of benefits. It could be a one-to-one -one with the CEO, for example. It could be, hey, you get once you've completed this training, you get access to 30% discount at your gym. Although companies have their own benefit packages, but you could be creative around incentivizing the meta, using the metaverse to incentivize employees to change behaviors. I suppose in a way we're using some of it in a much more basic fashion when you think perhaps about fast jet pilots and using a simulator. Exactly. It, it's kind of just taking it to a new level and bringing it all into much more of a, a reality and you explain it very, very well. What about socially? Could we, for example, I mentioned a world-class theatre performance, could you put on your glasses or virtual reality headset and actually feel like you've just gone to an opera or a ballet or a play and Absolutely. feel you could almost touch the actors and experience that whole thing from the comfort of your own sofa? Absolutely. So I think two years ago, Travis Scott did a concert in Fortnite, a metaverse platform. I think it was nine minutes and he grossed about $20 million in nine minutes. Oh my goodness. And By like, charging tickets. Yes, correct. Selling and tickets. Having, and having more of an access and audience base geographically borderless, right? In terms of where this technology is going, there's something called the hepatic suits, 
where you wear a suit like a bulletproof vest and you jump into virtual reality. I think this is now going full dystopian now. And you're <laughs> in the metaverse and someone pricks you with a pin. You feel that pain in real life. Really? Correct. How do you feel that pain in real life? Because you're wearing the special suit. Correct. So there's a program that says, hey, if X does Y, Y's result is Z, for example, just going into code terms. But that is where the technology is going and it already exists. If you go to virtual reality or gaming conferences, you'd see exhibitors that already have that and you could try it on and have a feel for it. And it is exciting educational wise as well, isn't it? Because I would imagine it could play a great role in schools and bring subjects to life. You know, when we've all sat there snoozing in the back of, I'm talking about myself now, snoozing in the back of my history class and chewing up bits of paper when I was young and putting them through a biro pen and trying to land them in our crazy history teacher's hair. That definitely wasn't me, Jimmy. <laughs> you know, history seems so dull and bland and to me at the time where actually... I'm guessing you could perhaps enter the battle of Hastings or whatever and feel like you're living in those times, could you? From a research perspective, there is data that suggests 26% of folks that learn in VR have a 26% retention rate. Back when COVID happened and we're all forced to work from home, homeschool from home as well, jump into Zoom with our kids. Now, Using virtual reality helps retain information better, which has a direct impact on performance. So that is definitely a use case. And one of the things we're also building from an education perspective, because we talked about human centricity and what that means is we've taken seven out of 16 basic human instincts, things that make you and I human. So things like vitality, creativity, idealism, community, romance. So in creativity, for example, we're looking at learning and creating a model in virtual reality that we could tell the story of Jesus Christ from birth to death in virtual reality and kids in Sunday schools or churches can jump into that and aid their knowledge. And then you could replicate that same story with Islam, for example, with Hinduism, you know, and, and spread it out across the religious chain. Or you could take that and go into a different light of how you do a biography of people and create a new experience for them to enjoy this. Gosh, it really does sound incredible what you could do. I'm a visual learner, I think I've realized over the years, but I can just see particularly youngsters just being much more gripped by having everything brought to life. And with you talking about it the way you do, it doesn't seem as frightening and as futuristic <laughs> as I thought this was going to be. When we thought about doing a piece on the metaverse, I was like, oh God, I don't really know what the metaverse is. But I can already see endless possibilities. So what got you interested in the first place, Jimmy? I got into the blockchain space in 2017, 2018. And I started off as a retail investor, invested in cryptocurrencies. I heard about this at a evening party when I was working back in corporate at Barclays and did some research, bought a few. A couple of months then, I stumbled on something called virtual land. Now, because I'm Nigerian-British, coming from Nigeria, the concept of investing in land as an asset isn't foreign. In the UK, you buy a flat, you buy a house, leasehold, freehold, but you never buy land except you're the developer or you're an investor, a real estate investor, for example. So when I heard about virtual land, it was $200 at the time. And I was like, oh, okay, I could afford one or two. Let me dip into this and do the same like I did in Nigeria, buy a land here and there and just hold it as an asset. 
And fast forward three years down the line, one of those pieces of land sold for $10,000. Wow. Exactly. I first said, wow. And for me, it was, hold on. That's a great ROI, return on investment. But for me, it was value. Out of that 10000 I think I gave my wife $1,000, $2,000 out of it. Said, hey, honey, we made some good money. Here you go. You can go buy a bag, a shoe, whatever, you, whatever it is. Um, and then I paid my tights as well. But for me, it was value. It was the fact that someone dropped $10,000 somewhere. And it was like, hold on, let's look at this. Let's take a step back. How many people are buying pieces of virtual land? What are they using it for? What can they do with it? What is the opportunity behind it? And how is this evolving? So it got me to start researching from February to about May. And we started Voltil May 2021. So over a shy of two years now. And it was that value concept that got me thinking and that was the birth of Voltail to say hey guys we could incorporate various technologies to make this to life so when i say various technologies we've incorporated the blockchain we've incorporated virtual reality we've incorporated cloud computing to bring these experience to life so behind the scene it's a lot complex and technical but to the user it has to be simple it has to be easy to jump in and basically that birthed Voltail. So the bit that I don't understand is if you were to buy a piece of land in Nigeria, I get it. I can see the land. I can touch the land. I can imagine uses. Maybe it's used for farming or for somebody to build a home on. I don't understand the value of a virtual piece of land because where is it and does it exist? Good question. And how can you buy it and then sell it when is it really there, Jimmy? I use the same analogy to bring this to life. When you buy a piece of art, for example, the original Mona Lisa is in the Louvre, but I bet you there's some people that have the Mona Lisa in their homes, yeah. right? What does that tell you? That's not the real thing. That is. The, so they've got a copy. Yes. They've got a copy or a print. Correct, right? And they've done that because of the appreciation of what they have. Yeah. Similarly with stocks. If you buy Barclays shares right now, the only thing you see is you go on the app or whatever app and you see some numbers. Same with your bank account until you go into the bank and physically redraw cash. Everything is digital now. Everything is digital. It's now the use case. Now with your money that is digital, it's cashless. You're spending money out of a card. You're tapping everywhere. It's being used for transactions to buy your glasses, buy your headphones, your camera, the use case behind it is what brings it to life. So when we talk about virtual land that you can't see, same thing with your digital money, you can't see it other than a line item on an app or when you go to the bank. So let's if we remove the bank and just say a line item on an app. Same with the virtual land, you could do things with that. You could buy that, get a building on it and customize your building to have services. So. You could buy a piece of virtual land, buy a piece of virtual building. On the ground floor, you have an office. You have a AI-driven avatar that tells you, welcome, Jimmy Daldu, to Helen Fespero Studio. We do X, Y, and Z. Here's a price list. Here's the availability of schedules. Here are the previous podcasts. On the first floor, you could have your office where you actually conduct podcast interviews in the metaverse. Are you getting that with me, right? Kind of getting right. it, kind of getting and it. Then, I like my idea of a studio in the podcast studio yeah, in we the could, We could hook you up, we could hook you up. <laughs> Let's do it. But what I'm not feeling is I still can't imagine if it's virtual, isn't there endless 
space and land. Correct. So it's the same concept of a website. You could buy Helen.com, Helen.io, Helen.whatever in every geography. The same concept you have with marketplaces like eBay, Alibaba, all of these e-commerce websites and platforms. A lot of people still have e-commerce platforms on their own websites, but they also sell on eBay and Amazon and all of those places. Same thing with the metaverse. It's an added channel of experience. So let's bring this to life with an example. I love Nike shoes. I customize a whole lot of them. And it takes me mentally anywhere between 10 to 20 minutes. I spend that time because I like to feel artistic. I like my colors. And Nike could create a studio or an experience launching one of their new shoes where to get people with a paintbrush to jump into the metaverse, splash red, splash blue, and you mix up things and you get a shoe coming in your face and you're loving it and it triggers an order. They get the order, they fulfill it and you get the shoes physically. What that has done to me is I love my experience. Every time I want to buy shoes, I want to go there. I want to enjoy it. What that has done to Nike is outside of their stores, mobile and web, they now have a new experience layer of selling their shoes, which is in the metaverse. So you, you can see the relationship between myself as a consumer and Nike as a brand. And for the brand to win, they want to make money. For the user to win, they have to get a rich experience. So that's how the metaverse comes to life. And all of this can be done on virtual land and a virtual building. Wow, I want some virtual land. I read an article in the New York Times the other day saying that there has been a boom in metaverse property purchases with the market now worth $1.4 billion and predicted to reach $5.5 billion by 2026. So it's really, really happening, isn't it? I mean, a man paid $450,000 for a parcel of land next to Snoop Dogg after (laughs) the rapper set up Snoopverse. But what makes that piece of land so valuable? How is it next to Snoop Dogg's piece of land, if you see what I mean? So let's take it, for example, in London, Knightsbridge, you have Harrods. If I buy the land right next to Harrods and put a block of flats there, the rent I charge because of the location is quite significant to if I bought a flat in Margate, for example. Now, because Harrod has traffic daily, if I put a business instead of a house, I could get some of that footfall traffic when Harrod does the Christmas lightning or some sales and promotions or bring a celebrity. I start to benefit from that footfall traffic. Similarly to Snoop Dogg's verse, the person that paid $450,000 for that could also have been a strategic play. If Snoop Dogg does an event, you're guaranteed, you know, X millions of users coming in. And right next door, someone could put a campaign to say, hey, click on this and get X. And that's marketing for the person. So that is the concept. Same with real life. It's technically the same. You are very, very good at (laughs) at explaining it in layman's terms and giving these examples where I get it when you explain it in ways that we're experiencing now in life, i.e. with property and things like that. And also, of course, the massive companies, like we mentioned in the introduction, Tommy Hilfiger and Burberry and Gucci, Nike, all these massive companies are investing. Will there come a time, Jimmy, when we don't go to what we'd see as a traditional shop and most people in a few years' time, lots of people are shopping online now, obviously, but will the metaverse take away from local high streets as well, do you think, and it become our go-to for shopping? Or will it just be a really interesting alternative that presumably will be worth billions? I think it's the latter. It's going to be a 
alternative that's going to be worth trillions, actually, not billions. The yeah. likes of Batista, Goldman Sachs predict 2030, it's going to be a trillion dollar industry. It's an alternative. We're not saying spend all your days and time in the metaverse. Humans still crave interaction. I still want to come and hang out with you and Carl, have a beer, have a drink, have a laugh, have a giggle. Yes, we, do, we could do that in virtual reality, but there's still that need for human interaction. That's how we are. So definitely it's an alternative experience that is going to be rich. Now, would it move away from high street fashion? Most likely. I mean, you're already seeing the decline now. A lot of people buy from Shane, from the fast fashion folks, buy three sizes, test them in the comfort of their homes and return them, whichever is not their size. And these guys are making provisions for it through their supply chain, making it convenient for people to shop. So there are going to be advantages. There are going to be trade-offs. I think it's not looking at how the trade-offs are going to be really impactful, not just to the economy, but to the community that we live in. Community is really still important. And I'm glad you've mentioned that and the importance of that. And it's also important, isn't it, that through all these new exciting things that people don't get left behind because not everybody will be able to dip into the metaverse or have the right equipment or phones or whatever they need. But community is still important. And maybe in some ways the metaverse will give us more time for those in-person meetings, which I think are still really important. What about currency? Will it all be crypto or is it crypto in the metaverse? Yes and no. So you have various types of metaverse. You have the open, you have the closed, you have, I think there's hybrid metaverse now, I'm not very sure anymore. (laughs) But what Facebook is, sorry, Meta rather, what Meta is building right now is a closed metaverse. It's not on the blockchain. What we're building at Voltil and a lot of other players in the space are building on a blockchain to ensure there's that decentralization aspect to the metaverse where you own your data, your privacy, and all of that. And we have a utility token that underpins transactions or economy in the world. So take, for example, Dubai. You have Dubai dirhams, for example. If I come to the UK, I need to swap my dirhams to pounds. If I go to the States from there, I need to swap my pounds to dollars. Technically, you'd have that in metaverse economies, right? Because everyone has different utilities and values and uses for their own currency. Now, it's not the amalgamation of these metaverses to say, hey, which is going to be the or the most accessible? I go to this metaverse because of this. I go to that metaverse because of this. Just like how you go to Telegram for a chat and you go to Facebook chat and you go to WhatsApp and you go to emails. Like they're all chatting and communication tools, but just doing different things because either your mates are in one, your communities in one your kids school is in one like hey we'll get there we'll get there and i've been meaning to ask but i've been so gripped by what you've been saying that i didn't want to interrupt what exactly is blockchain because that isn't a phrase that i know and i'm sure there'll be people out there screaming that i can't believe she doesn't know what blockchain means but i don't so i'm going to ask hey it's it's fine you're you're among a million other people i explain it simply the blockchain is an excel spreadsheet online right and accessible by anyone so just like how you create a google doc and you make the link public so anyone with that link can access it it's the same way the blockchain is it's a distributed ledger so the analogy with excel is you have roles columns you have information there and it's accessible by anyone so there are a couple of public and private blockchains a lot of 
blockchains you hear are going to be public, things like Ethereum, Polygon, and the likes. And if you Google Polygon, for example, you see the blockchain. And when you click on it, you just see rolls of transactions. So what that now does is increases transparency and security. So Helen, if you sent me 100 pounds today from your NatWest to my Barclays, only you, myself, and Barclays know about that transaction or anyone that I send a screenshot or you send a screenshot. Ah, right? I see. If you sent me money on the blockchain, yeah. right? Anyone anywhere in the world knows. However, they only know through your wallet address, which is a 42-digit character, and my wallet address. Now, they see the time it was sent, how much it was sent, but they don't know that was Helen. Now, if I happen to know your wallet address, I could go find it and say, hey, Helen, you sent all of these transactions to X number of people, blah, blah, blah. But not like I'm trying to, you know, be nosy about your transactions. I'm just calling out the use case around transparency and accessibility. So if you're auditing a public government, for example, or you're looking at climate change and trying to ascertain carbon credits, all of that can be publicly available. It's interesting you mentioned climate change there. Can the metaverse help with the current crisis that we, we are experiencing? I'll be very controversial here and say yes and no. There's a lot of energy utilized building the metaverse. And at Volatile, what we want to do this year is release the first carbon report of any company building the metaverse. There I say this publicly and one of them goes, do it. No, in the sense that there's a lot of carbon being emitted building this. However, we're offsetting and buying carbon credits to make that neutral. Now, in terms of the learning and education of what carbon climate changes, you can actually do that through the metaverse. One of the examples we do, and we want to do this with GSK, is build an ocean full of plastic waste where you can immerse yourself and swim in it. So you start to understand the impact of climate change through sustainability. And then on the flip side, then show an analogy of sea animals suffering due to the pollution in the water. To give you that sentimental and emotional aspect of climate change. So these are the kind of things we're doing. And that's why I say yes to it in terms of showing what that looks like. It's interesting. You mentioned the ocean. Convex are doing a seascape survey at the moment. It's a five-year research project with Blue Marine Foundation and Exeter University. And if you think the ocean covers two-thirds of our world, if you think about it in 3D, if you like, it's actually 97% of Earth. Mm. And they're trying to work out how the ocean can be used more as a carbon sink to take the carbon away. And I'm sure there'll be things that perhaps are being done, but can be done using the metaverse to help bring some Absolutely. of that science to life. How easy is it to start? You've really whetted my appetite. I'm sitting here thinking, <laughs> right, I need my podcast studio in the metaverse. I'd like to be one of the first podcasters in there if that's those positions haven't already gone. I'd like to design my avatar. I'd like to design the studio. How do you get started and how do you not get overwhelmed by how much presumably there is as a beginner to take in? The first thing is ensuring there's that mental acceptance to say, hey, I'm going into a foreign territory. I'm not used to this. Once you have that, it's fine. Because if you don't have that, you go in and you start getting nervous and agitated when you start. And when you break down on a journey, you give up. 
on our website, and apologies, it feels like I'm selling, but I'll tell. <laughs> you go on our website, voltil.io. You can either jump in as a guest. You don't need to create anything. You can just view or you create an account, username, password, how to create a wallet if you need a wallet. And then the next steps tell you this is how you create your avatar. There's a video that pops out that walks you through. We also have educational videos on our YouTube page that walks you through. And then we're releasing a PC version of the product later next month. And with that, you don't need the VR headset. You could actually just download the app on your laptop and then start playing around with it. Again, we're providing videos and all of that good stuff to ensure folks understand. And we're also reachable real time on Telegram, Twitter, on our social spaces. So for us at Volta, we've thought about this onboarding experience for users or brands. And how do we make that easy? And for us, one of our unique selling points is activating brands in the metaverse within 48 hours. So we can get your studio up and running, you know, within 48 hours. Fantastic. It sounds really, really good. And also get a small person, i.e. my 13-year-old, to sit with you while you're actually doing it. Get a digital native sitting alongside you. Hey, absolutely. Absolutely. At Vault Hill, your metaverse, what will, your human-centric metaverse, what will that offer people? A number of things. We've tried not to silo our product offering. So if you take, for example, in the Vitality District, we're looking to work with health and fitness professionals, physiotherapists, mindfulness. We've built a, a yoga studio for Amrita Sethi, first NFT artist in the UAE, where you could go into her studio with a subscription and enjoy 20 to 30 minutes of a guided meditational experience. And then you could also invite, I think, up to 12 people of your friends to join in in that yoga meditation and experience as well. So again, looking at well-being. There's also District Play where gamers are coming to life. We're looking at working with an eSport team to start getting folks free-to-play games, your Candy Crush type games in the metaverse and bringing all of that content into one central place. So those are the kind of offerings we're bringing. And before the end of this year, it's going to be it's going to be packed, really packed. Health and wellness is a, a subject that I'm really interested in. And certainly over the last few years, I've really immersed myself in it. And it's exciting nice. for me to think that there'll be a wealth of experiences of that in the metaverse too. I listened to a 10-minute breathing, which I don't very often do, but a 10-minute breathing piece on Spotify because I felt a bit stressed when I went to bed. But actually now I'm thinking that could be taking place in a mountain setting with a stream running exactly. by. In and, Nepal. Oh yeah, my, you've yeah. got set my imagination yeah. alight <laughs> and presumably a wealth of opportunities for the younger generation to embrace too. Digital natives that are 13, 14, 15 years old, in another three years, they're going to be of legal age to own a wallet, start opening businesses. Because they're already getting into it now, they're starting to understand how creative and the opportunity abounds within the space and will be able to transform those experiences and opportunities in the next three to five years once this becomes mainstream. Jimmy, how will AI affect our relationship with the metaverse? So I think it's going to enhance how we do things in the metaverse. So for example, we're incorporating AI non-playable characters in our virtual world. Think of it like this. When you go to an art exhibition, oftentimes by the art, if the artist isn't in the gallery, there's a little note right next to the art that describes the artist and the art and tells you a little bit of a story, right? What we want to do is 
use an avatar that could talk through that story so it feels relatable to and do that through using AI. So we program it and it starts to learn about interest, not just in that gallery in the metaverse, but also as you go around as well. So you pop into Vault Hill, Hilda, our mascot, pops up to say, hey, hi, Helen, welcome to Vault Hill. You could do X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. You could tell the avatar to shut up. You could <laughs> do that, right? But the essence is we're starting to use this technology to guide people within the world and also capture information that can be detrimental to people's use in terms of how we look at safety. If a bad language was said, the AI walking around could pick that up as well and we could start to go through logs and start to put in controls to p- keep people safe. So these are the mechanisms we're using AI productively and positively for in our metaverse. This afternoon, Jimmy, I'm doing a webinar on mental health services and mental health issues. And the fact that before the pandemic, mental health services here in Britain were stretched and they're even more stretched now. I'm just wondering whether the metaverse can play a role and help in that area too. A lot of the time, it it can, but we need to look at the psychological barriers as well. Let me give an example. So when I was in the UK, I could feel a tummy ache or have a tummy ache for a period of time. What do I do? I call an ambulance, I call an A&E, or I call my GP. I think we need to look at it from various parts of the triage cycle. There are gonna be some parts metaverse work perfectly, i.e. second time consultation. Do I need to go to the GP practice to have a checkup after I've been diagnosed and I'm on the right meds? Maybe not necessarily. GP might probably see me for two, three minutes, and that could be time he's given or she's given to more critical folks. So second level consultation is where the metaverse could play a really important part. And we started talking to some folks in the NHS affiliation as to how we could look at second time consultation in the metaverse. So people could actually walk into a metaverse GP surgery and have their follow-up appointment there. Exactly, exactly. I'm sure that would be very welcome given the current crisis within the NHS. You touched on Nigeria earlier when you were talking about buying land being very different in the country that you grew up in. What was your childhood like, Jimmy? Just tell me a little bit about your background. I'm the last of four children. Mother and father, born and bred in Nigeria. I went to primary school, college, university in Nigeria, and then came to the UK for my master's. And yeah, pretty much. Nigeria was a bit chaotic, but fun growing up. There's a lot of family around, a lot of cousins, a lot of aunties, uncles, like very close knitted in the setting of Nigeria. And it was quite fun, way different culturally to the West in terms of how people get together, interact, the openness and all of that good stuff. But it was fun. It was fun. I tend to go back every year. I still have family there. My mom and dad are still there. My wife's mom is out there as well. So there's still a bit of family in Nigeria. And Dubai is your home at the moment? Correct. Correct. I've never been. What's it like to live there? It's it's funny because we've been going to Dubai for the last eight years. And we thank God we've been fortunate enough to, to be able to do that on holiday. And we moved out to Dubai in March last year. And it's very different living in Dubai than visiting as a tourist. Way different. You start to understand how expensive it is to live in the country. (laughs) But it's so fast-paced. But I love it because of the weather and the beaches here. 
sunshine does something for me apart from vitamin d it gives me it gives me energy you don't have that a lot in the uk you have to wait for a certain period of time and yeah let, let's let me not rub it into to the uk folks that are going to be listening here but let's focus on the question jimmy but it's it's bliss part of the reasons was also strategic the uae government at the top are very vocal about the development of technology and specifically around the metaverse. There's a metaverse strategy from the top. There's regulations coming in from the top. So they're embracing this sector I'm playing in really hands-on. So we're getting those grassroots supports from the incubators, the community out here to grow what we're building and supporting us with that. And we have to focus, don't we, as well, Jimmy, on the societal impact of all this and what good can be done by connecting people on the planet. Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel that's probably important to you, but the fact that you've called it human-centric metaverse, it's got to be people-based, hasn't it? People at its heart. Absolutely. And while, while we build this out, you know, part of the reasons we, we focused on seven out of 16 basic human instincts is to ensure that as we're going through this journey of creating this technology, we're thinking about humanity. How do we create meaningful experiences? How do we enhance experiences through this technology? Rather than going into that dystopian nature where Helen has a, or Jack has a headset on for 10 days and he's not come out like some of the films we've seen out there. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we're trying not to do that. Hence why the human centricity is, is part of it. And just understanding as we're building this, how challenging will this be for myself? We just found a problem on your podcast around creating avatars for non-binary folks. That's a challenge to solve in itself. Now, if it wasn't human-centric, I'd have been like, oh yeah, we just don't have that. But now I'm like, hey, we need to go solve for that. How do we make it inclusive? And that's the human element to how we're building. That's fantastic you're thinking like that. And I think that needs to go up to number one on your list when we uh, sign off. In fact, I'm going to sign off now so you can go and pop that at the top of your list. Obviously, that's so important that everybody's included in this. You've given fantastic insight into the metaverse. You've really genuinely excited me. I'm now thinking, right, what can I do? Where can I go? I need to go and try and find a bit of cheap land somewhere that's going to grow in value and be somewhere cool. Come buy it ours. Come buy it ours. Yes. Exactly, exactly. It's raised lots of questions as well. I can I can feel a part two coming on when we're a bit further down the line, Jimmy. And hey, I'm really happy to jump on as well. I'm grateful that you found time to do this. Thank you very much indeed. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I, I say to people, the education is the valuable thing here, not necessarily the opportunities and the investments and the sales. It's just adding to your knowledge bank that is really important. And I hope I've been able to do that with your listeners today. And thank you very much, Helen, for all of the questions. You're very welcome. My knowledge bank is bursting. I think we're going to have to put the kettle on now. (laughs) (laughs) You've been listening to the founder and CEO of Vault Hill, Jimmy Dowdu, talking about the metaverse and what it means for us all. It has been quite a journey. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Don't forget to download and subscribe to our series at convex.podbean.com or search The Convex Conversation on Spotify and all the usual platforms where you listen to your podcasts. I'll be back in the real world next week with another great guest. Join me then.